Hello, and welcome to the Committed Collective Podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Adam Stone, Byron Hazley, and Steve Kerwin, often joined by informative guests through all walks of life. It's very informal, but very informative, and we're never quite sure where the conversation will lead us as we're talking about racial and socioeconomic inequality in our nation. Due to our national footprint, we're connecting through Zoom, so keep that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question or topic, please do so by emailing us at info at thecommittedcollective.org on our Facebook page or connecting with us on Instagram at the underscore committed collective. Hey, everybody, this is Adam Stone with the Committed Collective podcast. We have Zalala, Steve Kerwin, Zalala Magali, Byron Hazley. Hi, everybody. Byron. How's it going with you today? Going real well, Adam. You know, as you alluded to, today is a new day. It's a day to start moving together, to move collectively and turn a page and start uniting this country. Steve, how are you doing? Tell you what, guys, uh, I just got some shocking news yesterday. I'm pretty surprised. I was looking through Biden's cabinet and... uh, Betsy DeVos is not going to be retained uh, secretary of education. I know I'm as, I'm as shocked as you guys are. He had this Biden's got this weird idea that he wants an educator to be in charge of it. I don't know. I'll have to dive in more. We'll get into that more in the show. Um, but we got one of our favorite guests. Zalalem, how are you doing? What's up, guys? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking, Steve. Pleasure to join you as always. Looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. I was so excited earlier. I was just like blabbering away. So I got myself under control. We're ready to go. Let's get into the show. You know, we're talking about the inauguration. We're talking about the new cabinet and we're talking about the next steps into uh, the post Trump era. So, you know, to get right into it. I know that for some, it wasn't easy to watch the inauguration. I know that a lot of people missed it because it was during their work day. But Steve and Zalalem, I know you guys were able to catch some pieces. What were your thoughts? Uh, starting with Steve, what were your thoughts from the inauguration and, and major takeaways? I would assume most people that have a conscience and a soul would have watched that and thought that was very easy to watch. Uh, it was such a breath of fresh air. Uh, fun fact, the, the sun was shining in D.C. yesterday. Uh, that is the first time the weather was that good in three decades for the inauguration. So uh, God showing up to work on Wednesday, January 20th. Just want to give him a shout out. I thought that was outstanding. But look, I, I think um you know, if you watched it, it was just this feeling of comfort that just I, I you could feel through the TV. You could see in the audience um, that we were really moving forward in a way um, you're, you're looking at, you know, even Mike Pence sitting there and George Bush. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, if I, if I hear peaceful transition one more time, um, I, I might just drop a hammer on my foot and just smash my toe because I, I, I'm finding it very frustrating that that has to be something we celebrate. I mean, to me, that's like stone. If you got on this podcast and bragged about brushing your teeth this morning, like it's, it's, it should be expected. It's not something that should be celebrated. So, so Lalem, I'm curious on your feedback, what you kind of thought throughout yesterday. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to watch. I mean, over the years, I've seen a lot of inaugurations, you know, on TV. I've never been to one personally, but, you know, they're all very festive and celebratory affairs with lots of people. And this one didn't have that, right? We're in a pandemic world and, you know, it was sparsely populated and people were separated by six feet out in the grass and... the full capital seating was not filled up, you know, as usual. And, and, you know, when Joe Biden was speaking and he said an interesting line that people clapped at, like, you know, all you could hear on the mic was kind of a tepid applause, you know, and it's because there weren't that many people there. Um, and so that, that part was still kind of weird. Everybody's wearing masks and just a kind of a unusual kind of inauguration, you know, and, <clears throat> Uh, for him to talk about coronavirus, you know, during the inaugural address, like these inaugural addresses go down in history, right? Like we think of 
the second inaugural of President Abraham Lincoln. We think of Barack Obama's first one. We, you know, President Trump's made news for its own for its own reasons. It's like these are important addresses to the country, and it's kind of interesting for him to be so time specific and contextual with his because we're in just an unprecedented moment in history. You know, I. I enjoyed the programming. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, that fantastic poet, I'm sure, uh, during this conversation. But I thought it was really well done and um, was pretty fun to watch. Now, you got daughters as well. So uh, what was the feeling? And and I think they're old enough to, to understand, if I remember correctly. I think you told a really good story about um, Michelle's husband when she referred to Barack Obama one time. So what is that like to watch, a you know, Kamala Harris getting sworn in type of situation? Yeah, I have a single daughter uh, and I have a son, but uh, my daughter... And I and my son, the morning of the inauguration, we actually watched part of it and they don't watch very much TV, but I made an exception. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and it was great at my, you know, uh, my daughter was so enthralled with like the pageantry of it. And so was my son, even every time they show the Capitol, he, you know, he would say he likes that building's cool or whatever, yep. you know? So, you know, the, the imagery is important and the kids notice it, you know, and my daughter has definitely noticed that Kamala Harris is the first vice president, you know, she's the first president or vice president of color. Um, and it's just inspiring for you to see these national figures through your children's eyes and, you know, and be inspired for them that they can see themselves in them. It's just super cool. Watching from that perspective, uh, Byron, I didn't mean to cut you off, but watching from that perspective, was there anything that you were fearful of going into it that, you know, your mindset might have been diverted before, but looking at how it ended up, you what was your take on that? Yeah, I think um, if you're referring to kind of how where the inaugural, so two weeks prior, right, you get an attack on the Capitol building. Right. So my... I was pretty confident nothing was going to happen because you got to think for an inauguration, they're very buttoned up on this before January 6th even happened. So now you put that times a hundred. Um, I think the, the fact we had to have so many troops just shows the state of, of where this country was that we have to put our own troops out in the Capitol because we're afraid of our own people attacking the Capitol. I mean, that's just disgusting to think about in itself. So you could very much tell, you know, there was a parade um, uh, when they head to the White House and, and Biden and Kamala, they both got out of the car and walked at a certain point and walked up. So um, I think everybody was a little bit on the edge of their seat, but I think the the confidence level from from everybody else um, that you could just see there kind of showed that that everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Nobody looked well, I should say nobody looked in worse shape than uh, Bernie Sanders during the whole inauguration. Although he had some great mittens, I, I want to get a pair of those mittens. Everything else looked like he was struggling a little bit. Bernie didn't get a spot in the cabinet, and you could tell he showed up because he felt obligated to. We've all gone to some type of function in our lives um, where we showed up to make an appearance real quick, just out of the sake of respect. And then we were leaving to go do anything else. And I think that's what, that's what Bernie did. Yeah. Those, those mittens, everybody wants those mittens. True story. You cannot buy those mittens. Um, I, I just found the article. They came when he was running a couple years ago. Um, I mean, I think before yesterday, I don't know if you wanted to buy those mittens, but now they're <laughs> a little more popular than they were on Tuesday. So but we'll see what happens with them. Do you think you're talking about holding up to your obligations, respecting the, the process and the ceremony? Do you think it was better or worse that former, finally, former President Trump uh, was not there? So I just can't get over that. Like that's one. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I, it's just it's beyond the pale to me, you know that. And I, and I think we're all just kind of used to it and maybe overlooking the fact he didn't attend. You know he didn't. You know when he won in 2016, we all remember Barack Obama having a meeting 
with him, you know, Barack and Michelle greeting uh, Donald Trump and Melania Trump and walking them around. You know, George Bush did it for Barack Obama. Like I, we have those images seared in our memories, you know, and it was just, I just couldn't believe and I still can't. And I don't think I'll ever get over it that he just flat out wasn't there, you know, and I guess it's consistent with everything we've seen. It's consistent with uh, the words he spoke from the stage on January 6th to the mob. Um, and it's consistent with, you know, with all of the things he said, trying to undermine the integrity of the 2020 election. But it was just, you know, I, just, I think it's important to just stop and remember that, you know, and I think someone, someone texted me, a friend of mine, I haven't confirmed this, but I guess it's happened once before where a you know, president, a former president didn't attend at the inauguration, but the last time that happened was 1860, according. I believe it was my, Andrew Johnson. Yeah, it was right. 150 years ago. <laughs> right. And so, you know, uh, just remarkable and uh, to leave it that to, to leave the presidency that way, you know, and just one other point, I, I just think, you know, Joe Biden has a ton of experience in Washington and, you know, I'll be frank. He wasn't my first choice. Okay. There's not a, I mean, I don't agree with him on everything. And I mean, I don't think anybody agrees with a, a politician on, on every single thing. Um, but I, I feel that he has, you know, right. A decent character, some kind of integrity and respect for democratic institutions. And it just feels nice to have somebody in the white house in the executive branch that, you know, is competent like that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, has a respect for the institutions, a very deep respect for the institution and is going to, you know, put America first. Right. And, and, and it's just nice to know that there are people in there like that now. Um, and Joe Biden, I think cares about his legacy. I think he's probably the most experienced person to ever hold the office. Right. And so I, I just think it's, uh, you know, a nice breath of fresh air and calm, you know, for, for us now. And I said, I was telling a friend recently, I'm like, you know, I'm really excited for four years of boring, competent leadership, you know, where I don't have to pay attention to what the federal government's doing. Um, because I know, uh, that they're handling it. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out too. And I just wanted to point out that you may have made the nicest comment of calling someone old ever by calling him the most experienced. <laughs> He's the oldest president to ever take office. Thank you. <laughs> Greatest resume ever. Greatest resume ever. <laughs> but I also wanted to add that not only did Donald Trump, uh, not attend his wife also broke a tradition where they show the first lady they give him a tour of the white house now dr jill already was familiar being the the uh madam vice president um or what would it be the second the second lady yep. right yeah. so anyways um she was already familiar with the white house but they broke that tradition as well so they were just out I told my wife yesterday, I said, I wish we would have had Michelle and Barack do the traditions that the last president's supposed to do. And we just pretend like 45 never happened because you watched, you know, it's kind of um, uh, Kamala walked Pence out um, and he gets into his motorcade and leaves and you wave from the steps. And I just think it would have been funny if the Bidens would have done that to the Obamas. Um, because of course, like, you know, I won't touch on it too much because everybody already did, but it's just fitting that he wasn't there. And it, and it comes to show, um, he was always in it for himself and he was never in it for the country or else he would have been there. Cause at least Pence was there. And I disagree with about everything that Pence does, but, um, he does uphold the constitution, like he said, and the traditions and different things, his ideologies aren't what I believe in, but, um, he was there. So it, there's that.
Before we move on from the inauguration, I think there's one moment that we definitely should talk about with Amanda Gorman being the youngest inaugural poet uh, in the history of the inaugurations uh, for the United States. You guys watched that with your daughters. What were the thoughts there when they saw, you know, she's 22 years old and speaking power and truth and her words. And it really was a moving moment for the whole ceremony to kind of cap the moment of Kamala Harris becoming the first female vice president. It was, it was almost chilling like hairs coming up on the back as you listen, because she spoke so well and you could not take your eyes off of her and you wanted her to just keep going. If she was still talking right now, I'd still be listening 18 hours later. It was And I had no idea who this girl was, had no idea she was going to be speaking or anything. And to just see this and you could tell at Michelle Obama looking at her and different things, how everybody was glued in. Um, It is probably something when we think back to the inauguration in 10, 15 years, when we talk about this one, we're going to remember that it was Joe Biden. I bet you Amanda Gorman's who everybody will vividly remember when they're watching on their screen. I completely agree. I mean, that was my thought, too, was if she continued talking, I would have listened for as long as she spoke. It was eloquent, beautiful, and just, you know, obviously poetic. But the word, like the words she was stringing together all, it was like those were the perfect words for that moment, you know, and she was positive. I think, which was super important. And I think people need to hear that. I think she was wise enough to realize that she needed to provide a positive message. Um, but of course, not, you know, not completely positive, right? There, you know, the, the title of her poem is called The Hill We Climb. And she recognized that, you know, you have to climb, right? There are hills and, mm-hmm. you, and you have to persevere, you know, and one of her favorite lines, and I'm not quoting it exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but she said something like, you know, America is not broken, it's just unfinished, right? And that's the whole, and she like captured, you know, the whole concept of America in that phrase, which is, right, creating a more perfect union, more perfect, right? Each generation, more perfect, mm-hmm. it's finished. And just that consistent work to make our democracy better, not just for ourselves, but for future generations is just, is, is something that I think she just struck perfectly. And it was just, it was a joy to watch. Makes a lot of sense. Well, let's turn from the inauguration to the next steps. You know, Joe Biden over the last few weeks, he selected cabinet members for uh, the next four years. I know Steve, you, did some research on the cabinet members and specifically some of the statistics because during his campaign, President Biden was touting how much he would bring in diversity, having a very inclusive cabinet. Do you think uh, we have those numbers? What's what's the number look like for the cabinet right now? Yeah, like you said, it was it was something that Joe Biden came out right away and said, and, and I was a huge Joe Biden fan. I, I agree with uh, Zalala and what he said in 2020. I didn't know if he's the one we should have. And now I look at it and, and I almost think there, there's not a better person um, to sit at the head of the table while he puts a lot of advanced people in charge. And um, so he said he was going to have the most diverse cabinet. Um, I will tell you that Obama was at 42% people of color, uh, when he was um, Joe Biden, if confirmed by the Senate. So these are not exactly in yet, but more than likely we're going to be fine. Uh, right. 50% of the members will be. Um, that also includes 50%, I believe is the exact number. We'd have to double check, but that's going to be 12 members are going to be women, eight of which are women of color, both for the women's statistics would be the most in presidential history. So, and I, I encourage a lot of people, I mean, we'll, we'll, I can touch on some of these, but, you know, go through the cabinet members and what you're going to see is talent and people that are supposed to be in that position. Nobody got a handout. You know, there is no Betsy DeVos that because your daddy gave a bunch of money, you get to sit um, at the big table that that's, there's nothing I love. I think the Merrick Garland one 
is hilarious from an attorney general standpoint because he should have uh, been on the Supreme Court and that was blocked. So now he'll be there. Uh, Lloyd Austin can become the first black U.S. Secretary of Defense if he's confirmed. With that said, he does need a waiver because he's been out of the military for over seven years. I don't know how hard that is to get, but. Uh, Janet Yellen's Yellen is going to be the first woman to oversee the treasury secretary. Um, and she's a former federal reserve chair. So you're going to see so much talent across here. And, and like I said, that's, that's what this country needed is important people in important places doing important things. Started with Byron. Does this matter to you? Do you feel like this is president Biden holding up to what he had as a major campaign initiative to bring in more diversity, more inclusion, and have a, a socially, racially conscious uh, mission? Well, we've already taken a step in the right direction, Adam. I mean, he said he was going to do something and he did it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it matters that that telling the truth matters, right? That if you say you're going to do something, that matters. Um, so, I'm I'm glad he backed up his speech. Uh, hopefully the Senate backs him and those people that he selected for his cabinet are able to to be confirmed. But I mean, I think it's a step in the right direction. He's getting the people that um, he wants that he feels are. Are a fit for those specific um, roles. And there's one other cabinet member I'd like to point out, the secretary or the secretary of transportation, uh, Pete Buttigieg, right? Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana, who ran for president in 2020. He's the first openly gay cabinet member in American history. And that's huge, you know, and that also coincides with um, an executive order that Joe Biden issued, I think, today about LGBTQ protections, uh, ex essentially expanding protections through an executive order uh, uh, to gay and transgender people uh, against discrimination in the workplace, in schools, in healthcare, and other parts of American life. And that uh, it's a it contrast with President Trump's executive order that was similar to this, but that executive order from President Trump was pretty narrow and only apply those protections to employment. And so Joe Biden has expanded that. And it's based on a reading of a Supreme Court case issued last year um, regarding sexual discrimination. And it's, you know, it shows how interpretations of cases, you know, it shows how people matter in these positions because you can construe certain laws broadly or narrowly. And here Joe Biden has decided to construe it broadly and has offered protections uh, to that population. So I think that's cool, too. Also to point out, Rachel Levine is going to become the first openly transgendered official. If confirmed, she will be the assistant health secretary. So it's a, a lot of firsts, um, like I said. And if, if you think I would also challenge anybody, if you think he just went for diversity to hit these numbers and to break it, I would go have you look and see who he put in each one. And I would challenge you to try to find somebody more qualified than the person he put in charge. And these are all methodical, well-placed individuals everywhere. In fact, I made a joke. The, the white guys that are here are just, you're talking, I mean, John Kerry, the former secretary of the state is just going to be a special, the special presidential envoy for climate. I mean, it's a newly created position for a guy that, <laughs> ran for president um, against George Bush before. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Awesome to see. Shout out Jennifer Granholm, former governor of Michigan too, secretary of energy. Ooh, I didn't know that. I know. Yeah, big, big sweeps uh, across the board in terms of new changes and adding things in. Go ahead, Steve. One more, one more for you, Adam. Miguel Cardona, that's going to be the secretary of education, born and raised. Uh, from Connecticut, I believe his parents are, are Puerto Rican, but he was the youngest principal in the state's history. He became a principal of his school at the age of 27. Wow. He's the education commissioner for Connecticut currently. So okay. um, nice. highly, highly respected. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the cabinet definitely sounds like there's a lot of firepower there. And, you know, we'll see how that all comes together, especially with the confirmations, like you mentioned, Steve, over the next few weeks. Uh, Zalam, you didn't mention something. Go ahead, Byron, real quick. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up. So there was one controver- controversial selection that he made. It was uh, for the Office of Management and Budget, Nira Tandem. So, uh, she is not very well liked amongst uh, lefties um, based on her, her previous role in business. Um, she's not very well liked. So we'll see what happens there. I just wanted to call that out. Cool. Thank you. Uh, real When Zalala, you mentioned earlier with Mayor Pete being the secretary of transportation, there were some pretty big executive orders in that department or one executive order from President Biden that addressed transportation and specifically related to mask and the COVID-19 uh, restrictions. And, you know, it looks like the restrictions are going to increase for masks, especially when it relates to federal transportation. But, you know, you can see that probably extending to other areas that are more state specific. But I think this kind of talks about a, a broader topic of what, President Biden is going to do over the first, you know, the first hundred days is always a very uh, big milestone for any incumbent president, what they're going to do, what they're going to or not incumbent, but for any new president, what they're going to do over that period to set the tone. And this is one of the first major steps to really show unification on the way we address the coronavirus and the pandemic. Zalalem, what did you think about that executive order and what kind of thoughts do you have for that approach going forward? So I think a federal mask mandate is uh, obviously legal, right? He has the ability to do that. And I think uh, wearing masks uh, reduces transmission of COVID. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I've lived in America for the last year and I've read news stories. And so I've come to the conclusion that masks work, right? And the data shows it. Uh, It shows it in other countries too, South Korea in particular. And so, you know, I am all for any government encouragement to stop the spread of the virus, right? We've lived with this long enough. And I think that's great. Uh, there was another component, and it might have been a separate executive order, but <clears throat> of, of President Joe Biden requiring t- international travelers coming from other countries to be tested before they entered the United States, uh, and then to quarantine, yeah, presumably for two weeks once they get here. And so that, I mean, that's hu- that's huge. <laughs> and I think that I mean that that's a huge burden on people coming to the United States and. I can understand why there might be a chilling effect to preventing people from coming here, but um, I think he's doing everything he can to ensure that the, you know, uh, virus doesn't spread any more than it has, you know, and then in terms of his first hundred days, I recall him talking about a hundred million vaccines provided in the first hundred days. I, I don't know if he's still on that timeline uh, or if he's backed away from it a little bit. Um, because that's super ambitious. Um, Mm -hmm. I want him to reach that goal, but, um, and I hope he's still seeking to reach that goal. Uh, but I just haven't heard much about it in the last few days. Adam, you're going to be really shocked with with what I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you that they're starting to find out. It turns out the last guy that was in charge didn't have much of a plan when it came to COVID, he was kind of flying by the seat of his pants. I'm in Adam. I am as shocked as you are right now. I see your mouth hitting the floor. Are you sure about Um, that? So we are going to have some leadership. Um, I, I, the, the mask thing is really funny to me. I don't know if you guys have had a chance, but you can literally go put on one of those medical masks and you cannot blow out a candle. So to me, what that says, if I can't blow this candle out, it's, it's preventing some type of spread. That's good enough for me. I did not do well in science class at any point in the history of me in school. That, literally, there was never a point where I was good at science. So with that said, I like to listen to scientists 
when they tell me to do something. It's, I know it's very odd. So yeah, people better get used to wearing masks. You're going to wear a mask. There was a lot of people worried that Biden will just shut us down. He's not going to do it. He knows better. We missed that opportunity. Um, but we're going to wear masks in public settings. Um, and then he's obviously going to, He's going to try to get the vaccine out. He does have some assistance. Day one, uh, Amazon wants to help distribute the vaccines. I believe they're also trying to finesse their employees to be at the front of the line to get the vaccine. So there's going to be a little give and take there. But um, people are going to want to work with Joe Biden. And and that's what's going to be really, really exciting. Byron, in terms of starting with the the mask policies, the quarantine restrictions for travelers what do you think that means for you know what the next steps are was that the approach that you were hoping for with you know the first hundred days and you know the immediate first steps of the new presidency yeah i mean that was something else that he talked about you know while he was on the campaign trail president biden always spoke about how he had a plan and from day one he was going to come in and hit the ground running with that plan and roll it out um so i guess from the standpoint of me expecting some type of action to take place from day one. Yes, that meets the mark as far as um, the travel, you know, people getting tested when they land in the United States. I think that's going to be interesting as to how that plays out because not everyone's going to come and stay here for two weeks when they come to the U S so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I think Zalala mentioned the chilling effect that that might have when you're talking about people who are planning for a week long vacation. Now, you know, that whole week is sucked sucked up in a hotel room somewhere. You know, they're not going to make that trip, obviously, if that's what they have to look forward to. But, you know, I think in the end, it does make sense to start doing a lot more to address what's going on. I've heard too and seen reports that uh, President Biden is going to bring back uh Dr. Fauci and bring him back into the loop after he was oddly dismissed during the the last few months. So, you know, it's good to see that some of the top experts in the world are getting back into the discussion for how to handle some of the worst, you know, uh, medical situations that we've ever seen. Um, So, you know, that also lays a nice path forward that, you know, you're listening to experts, you're bringing in the right people to address situations and you're not trying to be the smartest person in the room for everything. Fitting to listen to medical experts on what to do during a pandemic. What wild uh, scenario. Once again, I, you know, I'm going to laugh about these things in, in, when I say laugh, I'm, I'm really crying on the inside that we're congratulating ourselves by allowing us to be happy that we're listening to experts in any field um, instead of the last guy that had a Diet Coke button on his desk that anytime he pushed it, the butler had to bring him a Diet Coke. So, but here we are. Well, you know what's there? I think there's a deeper point on this too. And I know you're kind of making a joke, Steve, but there's some a kernel of truth there in terms of this strand of anti-intellectualism in American society that has existed for a long time. I mean, as long as I've been around um, and, you know, questioning, questioning experts and calling them elites and implying that they're out of touch and they don't know the needs and the, and the, and the, and the experiences of real Americans, real in quotes. Right. And so just that whole anti elite anti-intellectualism that has really captured a large part of one side of the ideological spectrum, right. Um, has been destructive. I think, you know, you know, when you, (laughs) when you have an emergency in your own life, like you want an expert, right? Like if you have money problems, like you want to talk to somebody who knows about money, a financial expert, right? When you, need legal advice, you want a legal expert. You're not going to ask your friend who doesn't have a law degree, right? Like when you need advice on business, you want to talk to somebody who's had experience in it, who's an expert in it, right? Like that's just how we operate in life. But for whatever reason, in the political sphere, we've had this, we've had this trend of anti-intellectualism. And I think it's, you know, what you were just saying, 
having Dr. Fauci and other experts leading this COVID response now and not feeling shackled or, you know, put in a weird position where they're contradicting the president or what have you. I, I think, you know, it's not only going to help us healthcare wise, but I think it'll help turn the, uh, turn the ship toward, toward expertise, toward knowledge and toward truth as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially when you're talking about getting a very new vaccine out and distributed to uh, areas of the population that don't trust the officials that are trying to disseminate these vaccines. You know, there's a lot of questions about how quickly this was produced, how quickly they're trying to push the vaccine on certain areas of the population that in the past were targets for scams and very dangerous things like Skiki Airmen um, experiments and things like that, that people have, you know, definitely heard about a lot recently uh, regarding, you know, secret government uh, basically poisoning people just for their own studies. So, you know, I think that aspect when you had a president who wasn't really listening, not wasn't really, he wasn't listening to his medical experts and, you know, was perpetuating the whole idea of not trusting those who have the most knowledge in those areas. Hopefully that mindset gets changed. And I'm not sure, you know, how quickly we can change some of those mindsets or if that's possible with some people. But, you know, now that we're getting more experts back in the discussion, that's what we should be listening to in almost every situation. Like you said, Zalala. We just need to get the vaccine out there, too. I mean, we're getting to a point where even though there's people skeptical of it, there's people waiting in line for it wrapped down the block three miles. So get it out there. Just keep distributing it. Start at at who needs it the most. Work your way down. If people don't want to take it, at least we're still knocking down the numbers as we do. And the the stats are going to favor us anyway. So um, that's and yeah, it's. I hope in the first hundred days, like we talked about with the help of Amazon and different things, just to have a plan um, and, and to execute it. Is there outside, like moving away from the coronavirus and the pandemic, give me one executive order that you want to see in the first hundred days from President Biden to start to address things and, and move towards a more positive future? Uh and, and it's already been done, but the, the Paris climate agreement, I just think uh, when it comes to our climate, we are getting in a very, very dangerous zone where we won't be able to turn back. And if the whole world is doing not the whole world, but I don't know how many people are in the Paris climate agreement, but it's enough throughout the world that that the United States should be participating in it. A hundred percent. We have the means we have access, we have the supplies, we have all these different things, we should be involved. Um, So I think to me, climate is really, really important. Um, So I think that that was one outside of obviously any Corona stimulus, anything that can help the small businesses, I think is the most important sitting right here. But climate is something we have to attack very, very quickly, because um, the unfortunate thing about executive orders that I don't like is Biden just came in and did executive orders to get rid of what Trump just did. And then he just did that on top of Obama. So there is zero progress being made. So you have to do things from a climate perspective instantly so that in four years, hopefully you've kind of created a dent or made some progress that the other side of the aisle sees as valuable. So I would say climate. So I agree with Steve. Climate is extremely important. And I completely agree with that. Uh, but just he made, Steve made another point, and I just want to highlight it before I tell you the executive order that I think he should do. Uh, I don't like executive orders. <laughs> like, I don't think I, I hate mean, them. Yeah, it's not how you. It's not legislation. And when executive orders in the modern political era started becoming very popular and frequent, you know, it was during the Bush administration. I think Bush forty three, and. It was very controversial, right? Like, oh, he's issuing executive orders. He's performing like a legislature. He's not Congress. Uh, This is unconstitutional even, right? And, you know, there was something to those arguments. But yet throughout the 21st century, we've just seen the rise in the use of executive orders by presidents primarily because Congress won't pass laws. You know, I mean, there's I think if we talked about this on the podcast, you know, the do nothing Congress that Harry Truman complained about back in the late 40s and early 50s passed more bills than several of the past uh, 
several of the past Congresses in the 21st century, right? And and so I don't support them generally. I understand that it's a strategy that presidents use to you know to get things done, quote unquote, when Congress isn't acting, but it's not ideal. Um, one executive order that I would like to see is 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 actually one that I'd like President Biden to repeal. And President Trump issued an executive order relating to race or sex stereotyping and or scapegoating, basically barring uh, any discussion of critical race theory, implicit bias, and other racial conversations in the workplace. Um, and I just thought, I, th I thought that was an overreach. I think racial discrimination, just like sex discrimination, is important to discuss in order to avoid it. Um, and so I, and I don't know if Joe Biden has done this yet, but I hope he repeals that one. So I've got one. Um, I'd like him to sign an executive order that makes the Ku Klux Klan a national terrorist organization. Seems like a no brainer. The data's there. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Straight to the point. I like that. Um, I think with me, well, Zalam, I want to point on one thing that you mentioned. I think you made a great point earlier. We were talking about Congress and the legislative branch not doing what they need to do to put laws out there, because I think you see that issue with executive orders, but also you see it on the judicial side with the Supreme Court. They're almost having to make laws with their decisions when they really should be reviewing the laws that are there and just interpreting the laws. But since there's not a lot of legislation going on, they're forced to put in, you know, DACA uh, decisions and decisions regarding um, the Affordable Care Act and other things, just really not taking advantage of what the three branches are all about. So, you know, I think that is something I hope with, you know, the swearing in of two new senators that are Democrats and now, you know, the Democratic side has 49, but the potential for a majority in the Senate, and when you count in uh, Vice President Harris, you know, I hope that allows them to do more things to create law and allow the three branches to operate the way they normally should. Um, in terms of my executive order, I really want to focus on the student loan situation because the student loans are keeping people away from getting into home ownership, getting into uh, entrepreneurship, getting into a lot of things that would make them more independent and more able to be active members in our society. So, yeah, I think that's one area where, you know, we need some action. Obviously, everybody knows there's an issue. Everybody knows there's the bubble, but nothing's really been done that has a significant impact on what people are dealing with. So I'm hoping that within this first hundred days, President Biden makes action there. Yeah, I think the student loan, I, I think immigration is is a probably a really, really important one yes. in particular on on dreamers. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I, I I know that for the, the first 100 days, unless there's something I don't know the exact portion of the, the executive order, but um, nobody can be deported unless it's it's like a very high reason for why it needs to happen, a very aggressive type situation. So everything's been shut down to reevaluate the situation. And I just think that's, you know, I don't know what the correct answer is. I there, but I think putting smart people in smart places will get to the correct answer. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen enough to show that the, the correct answer isn't what the situation is currently. So there obviously has to be something done. So um, on that note, let's get into the action items and the, 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 the steps moving forward for everybody uh, for the next week. Steve, how about you? Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, watching the Joe Biden inauguration, like I said, the feeling that came through me was it was just a very exciting, but a feeling of relief. And, and my challenge to people is, in particular, if you really supported Donald Trump, watch how quickly everybody's going to bus roll him. Watch how quickly things are going to come out about him and just be cognizant of who, who it is you're supporting. But on that note, we have to think that from a 10,000 foot view, 
there's two types of Republicans and there's two types of Democrats. And then you can even break it down further and further. But you got Trump Republicans, you got moderate Republicans, you got moderate Democrats, and then you got progressives and progressives and Trump Republicans are going to struggle out of the gate with Joe Biden. Progressives will like some things, but he put a lot of people in places that are more aligned with his ideologies rather than the far fetch. We have to be patient and understand. So at the end of the day, the things that we want pass are the changes that we can be made. I promise you, we can all make on our own. We don't need a president to tell us to treat our neighbors with respect and kindness. So I just challenge everybody to to just be a better person. Let's take advantage of this moment, um, starting with yesterday, and let's all move on and move forward. How about you, Byron? Yeah, Adam. So along those same lines as Steve, I'd like to see people approach conversations with an open mind, right? Um, so you you may have a, a thought in your mind of how you view something but you should always keep an open mind and try to hear both sides there's at least two sides to every story um so just try to approach things with an open mind be open be vulnerable and and be be a good person be kind Oscar are you Zalala in 2016, I don't know if you remember this, but Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live the week of the election, and he gave the monologue. And in it, he said something like, "Like, let's give Donald Trump a chance. Right. And I think he regrets saying that now. But <laughs> but at the time when he said it, it like I felt the impulse, like I respected the impulse. Um, and I think that's how we should always feel when the administration changes is let's really try to give them a chance, you know, and I'm already seeing Joe Biden being criticized for wanting unity for, for seeking it, saying he's seeing the world through rose colored glasses and he's naive, but I don't think that's true. I, you know, the poet Amanda Gorman, and one of the best lines I've heard in a long time, and I'm paraphrasing now here, is something like, you know, to, like, there is light out there if you're brave enough to see it, if you're brave enough to be it, is what she said. And sometimes leading by example without knowing for sure that it's the right thing to do. Um, is what we need, right? Is shining that light in the darkness and trying something new that maybe that maybe some people don't think is possible. You know, Joe Biden, and I'm quoting here from his his inaugural address, he said, and this is my favorite part of it, he said, here's the thing about life. There's no accounting for what fate will deal you. Some days you need a hand. There are other days when we are called to lend a hand. And those plain words are just so impactful. I think he obviously means those words. But I think along the lines of what has, has already been said, don't be afraid to seek unity. Don't be afraid to act in furtherance of unity, right? Um, it's only impossible if you don't try it. <laughs> um, and don't sell yourself short worried that it's not going to work like let's give joe biden a chance let's give our neighbors a chance let's all give each other a chance because i think everybody wants unity almost everybody right everyone has a different vision of what it might look like but we all want it we don't want to be fighting these culture wars all the time and so uh, yeah i i just think don't be afraid to lend a hand and give everybody a chance i think for me it kind of aligns with what you guys are saying in terms of just having that positive focus and spending our energy and our time using what the circumstances are now to just focus on the positive in the future and to do the things that the mission for TCC stands for, you know, unifying, educating, empowering against racism and socioeconomic inequality. And this is the perfect time to really 
focus completely on that mission because there's nothing that's holding us back now. You know, the elections are over. The people, for the most part, that are being and being held accountable for being advocates for social justice change, they're in office now. So, you know, it's really our time to step up and take advantage of that and put together those local initiatives and get people unified as we want to be to collaborate against all of that hatred that's out there and just continue to build, like Jalalam said earlier, for a more perfect society every time we can. Adam, do you want an early prediction from me real quick? Sure, Steve. Let's do that early prediction. It didn't matter what you were going to say because you were getting it anyway. <laughs> if, if you haven't noticed, Ted Cruz has been on Twitter, and he's going to take a page out of Trump's playbook because you got to remember that, that politics is a game of chess, yep. and he is going to go after Trump's base, and Ted Cruz is going to try to be the guy that is – he tried to rip apart the Paris climate deal, and he got absolutely buried. So here's my my – Prediction for you. I want our producer Zach to hold on to this. Kamala Harris will defeat defeat Ted Cruz in 2024 and become the first woman of the United President of the United States of America. Okay. Yeah, we're about about what, 210 episodes away from that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, we're gonna be so big by then when I when I bring it up, uh, Adam. You, I just want you to. You won't even remember it because we will have done so many amazing things, but. Um, I'll have it recorded, okay. so I'll keep it. Sounds good. Cool. Remember, Old we'll prediction. Tape back. Yeah, we'll be here. We'll be here. <laughs> so on that note, get ready. Put this in your time capsule. The inauguration podcast, the first inauguration podcast with Zalam Bagali, Byron Hazley, Steve Kerwin, it's Adam Stone. See you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you would like to learn more about the Committed Collective or any of the initiatives that we're supporting currently, please connect with us at the underscore committed collective on Instagram or on Facebook. If you'd like to ask any follow-up questions of today's host or guest about our conversation, feel free to email us at info at the committed collective.org. Be sure to also subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date on our topics, information, and other events. If you'd like to join the collective, you can follow us on Instagram and join us on our Slack community. Remember, you can take an active role in your sphere of influence and champion change now.